Welcome, savvy investor, to Skyline Views. Welcome back to another episode of Skyline Views. I'm Chris Mills. I'm here with the founder and president of KRS Holdings, Mr. Kyle Stevenson. Welcome, sir. Thank you. I, uh, I want to jump right in. You and I have uh, talked a bit briefly already. I want to catch everybody up on your story, how you got started, and why you got started. Sure. Um, so I've started now, it's 30 years ago, I'm becoming an old man. Uh, I graduated University of Pennsylvania, uh, core concentration at the Wharton School, and one of the gentlemen whether you love him or hate him right now, was up on the, um, was up on the wall, and, his, and that was Donald Trump. Donald Trump's picture was on the wall until it was pulled down because um, he got into a lot of trouble in the late 80s, and there were some dishonesty issues, and so they pulled his picture down, but I was still amazed with his story um, and, and what it turned out to be his father's story. Um, uh, and how they were able to accumulate a lot of of real estate in New York City. And I thought, as anybody in the early 20s, man, if this guy can do it, I can do it. All I got to do is work hard. So a year later, I bought my first piece of property, 142 Patterson Avenue in Patterson, New Jersey. It was a duplex. I made all of the mistakes you could possibly make <laughs> as a uh, first-time um, owner. Um, I bought for too much money. I bought in the wrong neighborhood and, um, and rented to the wrong people right away. And, um, uh, but admittedly, even by doing all of the wrong things over time, uh, the property uh, allowed me to, um, to purchase additional properties. There was appreciation. I was able to do a 1031 tax exchange. And um, uh, you know, 30 years later, you know, we, uh, we own and manage, um, we don't own all 4,000 units, but we, we own and manage uh, 4,000 units in Richmond, Virginia. Um, and, uh, and through that, we've been able to experience what people have done well, what people have done poorly. And um, it's been a wonderful, wonderful career. So I, I started just like anyone else. Um, I, you know, my, my father was an immigrant from Jamaica with, uh, with just a dream. My mother was a school teacher, a third grade school teacher. And, um, and it's, uh, and they just uh, taught me about you know, hard work ethic and, and, um, and it's been a really good run. Excellent. Excellent. Very good. So the Richmond market, you guys are in the general area, um, we're talking about Richmond today, but I know you guys operate in Northern Virginia, down to Virginia Beach, uh, got multiple offices. Um, let's, let's focus on the, the Richmond market. Um, how's it been doing over the last few years and how's it weathering <laughs> the 2020 fiasco? So Richmond is an incredible market. It, up until this point, you know, over the past 20 plus years has not been as volatile as some of the more densely populated uh, metropolitan areas. It's not a New Jersey or New York City or San Francisco. Um, 
Uh, it does have uh, several Fortune 500 players, but again, nothing compared to some of the larger metropolitan areas. Uh, because of that, also there's been a lower barrier to entry. Uh, the capitalization rates are higher, historically have been higher, even over the past few years, uh, have been higher than, again, the larger metropolitan areas. So, and then, and then it, it is the capital of Virginia. So you have government work. You also have uh, Virginia Commonwealth University, VCU. You have... Um, University of Richmond, you have Medical College of Virginia. So you have these really strong players that provide uh, job growth and uh, educated job growth, which has been a wonderful dynamic for for Richmond. So it's it's been a wonderful place to invest, and um, even through the you know, uh, COVID. Admittedly, we've had some issues with vandalism and protest. It is the capital of the Confederacy, so uh, there's plenty of fodder, uh, if you count those as the statues and uh, a lot of energy around that. But um, with the exception of the vandalism, COVID has been okay. Again, I think Virginia's held up well uh, with the virus, with infections. We haven't been overwhelmed in our healthcare uh, system, so we've held up uh, fairly, fairly well. Collections have been fine. Uh, there, there has, there hasn't been that many um, hard problems to uh, to weather through. Very good, very good. And as far as the, uh, you know, best practices for managing properties, I guess for everyone, because we have real estate investors, passive and active. So when it comes to making weathering storms, making your portfolio as weatherproof as possible, right? What, uh, what are some recommendations and things you've seen from your experience? So that's, um, that's, that's interesting. I believe whether you own a single family home or own a multifamily community or you have um, a portfolio of properties that it's critical to create systems or work with individuals that have created systems that have a proven track record and are reproducible. Um, for example, one of the experiences I talk about when I first started was an individual that had money, had cash in hand, was a good applicant for me to, to rent my home. And that, that's not necessarily the case. So um, uh, usually those individuals that are ready to move in now with a large wad of money are, are probably the least, um, the, the least likely to pay on a timely basis month after month. So I think, you know, if you create an algorithm where you say, hey, 
you know, this tenant doesn't, you know, hasn't been evicted before. This tenant has a 600 plus credit score, 700 plus credit score. You know, um, uh, those are signals that will define whether or not that tenant will pay on a timely basis month after month. So I, th I think it's real important to, to have those algorithms. Um, if you're just starting and you have this passive um, and you're, you're a passive investor, I still think you, you need to be as active as possible in that investment until you understand and can appreciate the real estate business. Therefore, you'll know whether something is going well or not going well. Um, you know, it could be that you decide, you know, we talk about, again, systems and best practices, that you uh, have a paint color that you use over and over again. You have a certain type of curb appeal that you um, expect. Um, those are really critical. You know, you understand a neighborhood. I think, um, especially if you're an active investor, that you understand that neighborhood block by block. Real estate is a local investment. Um, if you don't, if the, an individual could tell you, hey, you're only a mile away from the university, but you, you could be in the worst war zone known to mankind. So you really need to understand um, uh, all of those fundamentals and be able to create al algorithms around that systems so that um, you, you know whether something is going well or not well. And then the other part is that you're not just using your gut. You know, we'll hear people all the time say, well, I want to I personally interview someone that's moving into my property. I said, well, that's fascinating. What, what can you tell me what you're looking for? Oh, well, I, I can just tell whether they're going to be a good tenant or not. Really? I, I don't know. We've read it to, you know, I don't know, 10, 15,000 tenants. I, that would be a gift that I really would be interested in understanding because it, it doesn't work. <laughs> so, so that's, those would be my recommendations. Yeah, those are all good nuggets. I, um, I remember early on, there was a guy that I was kind of shadowing and learning from and regarding tenant turnover, he had one shopping list. And I was kind of like, you can't buy the same sink over and over and the same fridge over and over. And he was like, well, yeah, you can. Um, and I learned the the predictability of, of that, like kind of what you were getting at that paint color, you know, you had one paint color and guess what all these years later i have that one paint color and this one thing and um you do like in my area you run into you know this property is all electric and this one's electric and gas things of that nature but outside of that yeah the the simpler and more cookie cutter you can keep stuff like that um the the better your life's going to be you know our job is sometimes to to keep things boring <laughs> that's right yeah, that's some, right some people like to get creative but yeah, it's not always not always the best thing. What uh, what have you seen as you know tenant specific? That's that's kind of uh, what's the right way to put it. So when you're picking tenants, a lot of people they do they try to gauge the personality, 
um, you know, how people are dressed, how polite things are being, all these can be deceptive, right? Do you have standards where you rent to someone, you know, certain income ratios and things of that nature? Do you have those cookie cutter standards as well? We do. And I will tell you that this algorithm has made a world of difference in our outcomes. If the property is in a fairly good neighborhood and for good neighborhood in Richmond, north of $1,400 a month, okay, is going to be a, a neighborhood that I would suggest someone starting out in. We would like to have a 700 plus credit score. That's that FICA score. If you take a look at 700 plus FICA score, you have less than a 5% chance of default. Mm -hmm. Default, I don't even mean eviction. I mean something non, it could be a least non-compliant. So that FICA score also, while it doesn't guarantee that your home will be taken care of, or your property will be taken care of, um, it, it really does act as a, a, a predictor. Nothing, there's no guarantee. The other part is we don't look for any, so you can't have any unlawful detainers, which is the first step in the eviction process in Virginia. So no unlawful detainers, no evictions. You need to make three times your, your rent and have over a 700 FICA score. If you do that, you should have an incredibly attractive outcome. The other thing I suggest to individuals, and this one's a little bit more difficult because I, I believe there's sometimes a contest in how much rent can I get for a property? And I, I'm not as huge of an advocate of complete rent maximization. I believe that you either need to be at market at what you believe everybody else is renting for or one to two percentage points under. And the reason I say that is you want people to feel, number one, if you're 700 plus credit score, you have choices, okay? You are sought after. So you wanna be able to provide that 700 plus FICA score, a little bit of value, just a kiss. And then we do believe that the cost of living, the cost of maintaining happen, a, a property happens every year. So we believe in, you know, a 2% rental increase every year. And so if you start off just a, just a hair behind maybe the market, that individual, and you take care of your work orders, that individual may stay with you year after year after year. And that's also what I believe is a gold nugget um, to, uh, to be a successful landlord is not to have the turnover year after year. Turnover and vacancy are the largest costs that an individual may have. And so you want to stay away from that as much as possible. Yeah, I agree. I agree. They, they kind of look up a year or two, they start to assess the market, maybe do a quick search on the internet, and they still feel like they've got a good deal if they're, you know, right there. Um, I fully agree. Yeah, for sure. If someone is looking to, you know, maybe take advantage of this market 
in the coming markets and they want to start putting some of the capital they've had on the sidelines into play. How would you advise someone if they are looking to scale, looking to, you know, buy and buy and buy? Talk about single family versus multifamily, um, active versus passive. What are, what are all the options out there that people should be considering? Wow. These are some things I love discussing. So I believe, especially in this time, that single family homes may be the best route for wealth creation. And the reason I believe that is because of a term that I define, I call it disproportionate appreciation. And, and what I mean by that is I want to be able to purchase a property. It may be in a, a neighborhood that is one business cycle away from taking off, if that makes sense. So if, if, um, if, you know, maybe it's a, a school district that's right on the edge, that's turning around and, and, and families are going to move in and want to own. And so if I could buy a single family home and get a fair return on that asset, I don't ever want to lose money, but if I can get a fair return um, after I pay my mortgage and expenses, I take all of that into consideration. What happens in real estate cycles is that the home on the next cycle will be viewed as what, what's my cost to own this? And you get an appreciation that is disproportionate to it being a rental property. And you can take that equity and you can reinvest that into a multifamily dwelling that is really only based on cash flows. That's really what multifamily is about. And um, and 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 so then that's going to generate probably more cash from uh, from your investment, but you're getting that off of that that appreciation that you're getting from someone wanting to own your home as a as a as a homeowner. And um, so I really believe that the average person, not the person with a ton of money, but the average person should start their wealth creation uh, path by purchasing those types of homes. Um, and so I'm a monster advocate of, of, of that approach. Yeah, really good strategies. Really, really good uh, stepping stones. The way you laid that out, that's great. What was, are, that, was that helpful? I, I, sometimes was, that sounds yeah. a little confusing. Okay. All right. No, and, and I can identify because that's, that's, I think, as you know, that's what, what I did, right? I was buying those and I bought a lot owner-occupant, um, my wife and I, but at the same time, yeah, those appreciated like crazy. And then you have that equity sitting there and you can put that to work too. And um, multifamily, like you said, is great for cash flow. So yeah, I think, I think a good mix, um, analyzing your portfolio, having a plan, somewhat of a plan, um, and a lot of real estate investors, they will start 
without a plan. They'll just think, oh, this is a good idea. Let me go do it. But the stepping stones, like you mentioned, having somewhat of a plan, which of course could change along the way, um, all, all good things. What other, um, what other best practices, maybe anything I haven't asked about that you would, you would recommend? So I don't know if it's a best practice, but something that I would suggest to real estate investors at this time, especially on the multifamily side, is be cautious of the acquisition. Uh, and and I, I, that sounds so simple, uh, but I'm going to go into a little bit more detail. Right now, properties are trading at historical low capitalization rates. So the values are through the roof. One of the reasons is because of the cost of money. So the cost of money, you know, shoot, maybe if you, if you buy a small multifamily and yet, and you haven't done a lot of it before you, you, you may be able to get a three and a half percent rate on a 30 year mortgage. Um, the challenge is at some point rates will go up and I mean, there may be some inflation, but if you, let's say, get a, have a property and it's a 4% rate and you try to sell it five years from now, let's say rates are 5%. Well, heck the cost of money, is 20, 25% more than what it was when you bought it. So the person who's going to go try to buy this piece of property, you know, is already going to be at a disadvantage. So how can they make that up? It's on the price of the asset. So you have to really take some of that into consideration unless you're going to buy and own this thing for 30 years. Um, it, it's it uh, you, you need to be uh, cognizant that yes money is at an all-time low and but but that could burn you on the way up uh, just as when real estate heck when i bought some things even i had an eight percent rate and i thought that was good well now that real estate feels really good at 4%. So now I look like a genius. I'm not a genius. The rates came down by 50%. <laughs> so, so just understand, you, you, there are only 300 basis points unless you believe in negative rates. There, there, there's really not that much more downside. And so as rates go up, that could have a negative impact on pricing. So just be careful in, uh, in selecting specifically multifamily deals. Really good point. Really good points. As people are starting out, most, most individuals especially will do their own property management. Not, not a bad thing, but at some point as you're scaling up, you're probably going to want to bring in the professionals. What do you think that point looks like and, and what's a, what should people look for? Great question. 
So I am an advocate of having an individual, especially that first time investor, to manage the property on their own at least four seasons or several seasons, four seasons. Because with every season comes different types of headaches and, um, and there needs to be a level of appreciation for the property manager. The only way for me to experience that is to, to feel it and, um, and to internalize that feeling. The, the transition, it really depends on the individual. There are some clients that we have that really, um, their strength is not interacting with tenants. Their strength, uh, maybe they love maintenance. And so it really depends on the individual. I think when they're interviewing a property manager, they may want to ask, are there, are there different ways that I can slowly transition from being a full-time manager to a passive investor? And it, it may, you know, we have some owners that just love maintenance and they'll actually go, go with one of our maintenance shirts. I probably shouldn't share this on a podcast, <laughs> but it's too late. So um, they'll go with one of our maintenance shirts on and they'll go out and they'll act as if they're the maintenance technician because they love it. So it really depends on the individual. Um, I think what's important though is that whatever property management firm they choose, that individual chooses, is that there is a regular cadence of communication related to the financials. Those are the individuals I've seen be the most successful. Um, so what does that look like? That looks like the investor, it could be, if it's just one home, it may be on a quarterly basis. They get on a call and they review the financials line item by line item every month or every quarter and make sure that there's a takeaway, there's an action point, something that that manager should do. Um, it could be that things are going so well that there's some extra cash, so maybe they wanna talk about what should the capital expenditures be going into next year, but that there should be that cadence. And I think if that's done, um, it holds that property manager accountable, number one, and number two, it creates focus. It creates focus from the investor and it creates focus for, the, for that property manager on what can be done to improve the asset. So that's what I would define as probably the best practice for, uh, for engaging a property management company. Very good. If, uh, if someone wants to engage KRS or, you know, ask questions, how can, uh, how can they get a hold of you? So if you go to krsholdings.com, you'll see a picture of me. I think you can, uh, you, you just, the mouse, you hit the, the, my picture and, um, uh, and then you, you can email me and I'm more than happy to answer questions for anybody. Excellent. Excellent. 
Well, thank you for your time. I appreciate it. I think this has been valuable and informative for the listeners. Great. Well, our goal is to make a positive difference in people's lives. So hopefully uh, we've been able to touch someone's life today and, uh, and, and create a catalyst for them to uh, generate wealth through real estate. Absolutely. Very good. We'll talk to you again soon, Kyle. Thank you. Sounds good. Thank you for listening to another episode of Skyline Views with Chris Mills. We hope you found this valuable and useful. Feel free to share it with friends or family that could benefit as well. Please don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss anything. We really appreciate it. Also, we'd love to hear from you. Connect with us through thehaneycompany.com. See you next time. The information provided in this episode is not intended as specific tax or legal advice and may not be relied upon for purposes of avoiding any federal tax penalties. Skyline Views, The Haney Company, their employees and representatives are not authorized to give tax or legal advice. Individuals are advised to seek advice from their own tax or legal counsel. Individuals involved in the estate planning process should work with an estate planning team, including their own personal legal or tax counsel. The information provided here does not constitute personal financial advice, but is meant for the conveyance of information for educational purposes only. All investing involves risk, including the risk of loss. Past performance is not indicative of future returns. Guarantees are backed by the claims-paying ability of the insurer. Christopher Mills is a registered representative of Coastal Equities Incorporated. Coastal Equities Incorporated is not affiliated with the Haney Company or Skyline Views. Securities are offered through Coastal Equities Incorporated. Member FINRA SIPC. 1201 North Orange Street, Suite 729, Wilmington, Delaware, 19801.